Volume Three, Chapter Six of The Smuggler by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Sir Edward Digby did not take advantage of the opportunity which Mrs. Barbara's absence afforded him. This may seem extraordinary conduct in a good soldier and quick and ready man, but he had his reasons for it. Not that he was beginning to hesitate, as some men do, when, after having quite made up their minds, they begin to consider all the perils of their situation, and retreat, without much regard for their own consistency, or the feelings of the other persons interested. But no, Digby justly remembered that what he had to say might require some time, and that it might produce some agitation. Moreover, he recollected that there are few things so disagreeable on earth as being interrupted at a time when people's eyes are sparkling or in tears, when the cheek is flushed or deadly pale. And as he knew not when Mrs. Barbara might return, and certainly did not anticipate that she would be long absent, he resolved to wait for another opportunity. When he found minute after minute slip by, however, he began to repent of his determination, and certainly, although the word love never passed his lips, something very like the reality shone out in his eyes. Perhaps, had Zara been in any of her usual moods, more serious words might have followed. Had she been gay and jesting, or calm and thoughtful, a thousand little incidents might have led on naturally to the unfolding of the heart of each. But, on the contrary, she was neither the one nor the other. She was evidently anxious, apprehensive, ill at ease, and though she conversed rationally enough for a person whose mind was in such a state, yet she frequently turned her eyes towards the door of the adjoining room, from which the sound of her father's voice and that of Mr. Radford might still be heard. Sir Edward Digby endeavoured to gain her attention to himself, as much with a view to withdraw it from unpleasant subjects as anything else, and it was very natural that, with one so fair and so excellent, one possessing so much brightness, in spite of a few little spots, it was natural that his tone should become tenderer every minute. At length, however, she stopped him, saying, "'I am very anxious just now. I fear there is some mischief going on there, which we cannot prevent, and may never know. Edith's absence is certainly very strange, and I fear they may foil us yet.' In a minute or two after, Mrs. Barbara Croyland returned, but in such a flutter that she spoilt her embroidery, which she snatched up to cover her agitation, dropped her finest scissors, and broke the point off, and finally ran the needle into her finger, which thereupon spotted the silk with blood. She gave no explanation, indeed, of all this emotion, but looked several times at Zara with a meaning glance, and when at length Sir Robert Croyland entered the drawing-room, his whole air and manner did not tend to remove from his daughter's mind the apprehension which his sister's demeanour had cast over it. There is a general tone in every landscape, which it never entirely loses, yet how infinite are the varieties which sunshine and cloud and storm and morning, evening and noon bring upon it, and thus with the expression and conduct of every man, although they retain certain distinctive characteristics, yet innumerable other varieties produced by the moods, the passions and the emotions of the mind. Sir Robert Croyland was no longer irritably thoughtful, but he was stern, gloomy, melancholy. He strove to converse, indeed, but the effort was so apparent, the pain it gave him so evident, that Sir Edward Digby felt, or fancied, that his presence was a restraint. 
He had too much tact, however, to show that he imagined such to be the case, and he only resolved to retire to his own room as soon as he decently could. He was wrong in his supposition, indeed, that his host might wish to communicate something privately to Zara, or to Mrs. Barbara. Sir Robert had nothing to tell, and therefore the presence of Sir Edward Digby was rather agreeable to him than not, as shielding him from inquiries which it might not have suited him to answer. He would have talked if he could, and would have done his best to make his house agreeable to his young guest, but his thoughts still turn, with all the bitterness of smothered anger, to the indignity he had suffered, and he asked himself again and again, "'Will the time ever come when I shall have vengeance for all this?' The evening passed gloomily, and in consequence slowly, and at length, when the clock showed that it still wanted a quarter to ten, Digby rose and bade the little party good-night, saying that he was somewhat tired and had letters to write. "'I shall go to bed too,' said Sir Robert Croyland, ringing for his candle. But Digby quitted the room first, and Zara could not refrain from saying in a low tone, as she took leave of her father for the night, and went out of the room with him, "'There is nothing amiss with Edith, I trust, my dear father.' "'Oh, dear, no,' answered Sir Robert Croyland, with as careless an air as he could assume. "'Nothing at all, but that she does not come home to-night, and perhaps may not to-morrow.' Still unsatisfied, Zara sought her own room, and when her maid had half performed her usual functions for the night, she dismissed her, saying that she would do the rest herself. When alone, however, Zara Croyland did not proceed to undress, but remained thinking over all the events of the day, with her head resting on her hand and her eyes cast down. The idea of Edith and her fate mingled with other images, the words that Digby had spoken, the increasing tenderness of his tone and manner came back to memory, and made her heart flutter with sensations unknown till then. She felt alarmed at her own feelings, she knew not well what they were, but still she said to herself at every pause of thought, "'It is all nonsense. He will go away and forget me, and I shall forget him. These soldiers have always some tale of love for every woman's ear. It is their habit, almost their nature.' Did she believe her own conclusions? Not entirely, but she tried to believe them, and that was enough for the present. Some minutes after, however, when a light knock was heard at the door, she started almost as if someone had struck her, and Fancy, who is always drawing upon improbability, made her believe for an instant that it might be Digby. She said, "'Come in,' however, with tolerable calmness, and the next instant the figure of her aunt presented itself, with eagerness in her looks and importance in her whole air. "'My dear child,' she said, "'I did not know whether your maid was gone, "'but I am very happy she is, "'for I have something to tell you of very great importance indeed. "'What do you think that rascal Radford has done?' "'And as she spoke she sank, with a dignified air, into a chair. "'I really can't tell, my dear aunt,' replied Zara, "'not a little surprised to hear the bad epithet "'which her aunt applied to a gentleman, "'towards whom she usually displayed great politeness.' "'I am sure he is quite capable of anything that is bad. Ah, "'He is very much afraid of me, and what he calls my sweet meddling ways,' said the old lady. "'But perhaps if I had meddled before, it might have been all the better. "'I am sure I am the very last to meddle, except when there is an absolute occasion for it, "'as you well know, my dear Zara.' "'The last proposition was put in some degree as a question, "'but Zara did not think fit to answer it, merely saying, "'What is it, my dear aunt? I am all anxiety and fear regarding Edith. 
"'Well, you may be, my love,' said Mrs. Barbara, and thereupon she proceeded to tell Zara how she had overheard the whole conversation between Mr. Radford and her brother, through the door of the library, which opened into the little passage that ran between it and the rooms beyond. She did not say that she had put her ear to the keyhole, but that Zara took for granted, and indeed felt somewhat like an accomplice, while listening to secrets which she had acquired by such means. Thus, almost everything that had passed in the library, with a few very short variations and improvements, but with a good deal of comment and a somewhat lengthy detail, was communicated by Mrs. Barbara to her niece, and when she had done, the old lady added, "'There, my dear, now go to bed and sleep upon it, and we will talk it all over in the morning, for I am determined that my niece shall not be treated in such a way by any vagabond smuggler like that.' "'Dear me, one cannot tell what might happen, with Edith shut up in his house in that way. "'Talk of my meddling, indeed. He shall find that I will meddle now to some purpose. "'Good-night, my dear love, good-night.' "'But Mrs. Barbara stopped at the door to explain to Zara that she had not told her before. "'Because, you know,' she said the good lady, "'I could not speak of such things before a stranger like Sir Edward Digby, "'and when he was gone I didn't dare say anything to your father.' "'Think of it till to-morrow, there's a dear girl, and try and devise some plan.' "'I will,' said Zara, "'I will.' But as soon as her aunt had disappeared, she clasped her hands together, exclaiming, "'Good heaven, what plan can I form? Edith is lost. They may have her now completely in their power. Oh, that I had known this before Sir Edward Digby went to sleep. He might have gone over to Leighton to-morrow early, and they might have devised something together.' "'Perhaps he has not gone to rest yet. "'He told me to throw off all restraint, "'to have no ceremony in case of need. "'Leighton told me so, too, "'that I might trust in him, "'that he is a man of honour. "'Oh, yes, I am sure he is a man of honour. "'But what will he think? "'He promised he would think no harm "'of anything I might be called upon to do, "'and I promised I would trust him. "'I will go. "'He can speak to me in the passage. "'No one sleeps near to overhear.' "'But I will knock softly, for though he said he had letters to write, "'he may have gone to bed by this time.' "'Leaving the lights standing where they were, "'Zara cast on a long dressing-gown "'and crept quietly out into the passage, "'taking care not to pull the door quite to. "'All was silent in the house, not a sound was heard, "'and with her heart beating as if it would have burst through her side, "'she approached Sir Edward Digby's door. "'But there she paused.' Had she not paused but gone on at once and knocked, all would have been well, for so far from being in bed he was sitting calmly reading. But ladies' resolutions, and men's, are made of very much the same materials. The instant her foot stopped, her whole host of woman's feelings crowded upon her and barred the way. First she thought of modesty, and propriety, and decency, and then, though she might have overcome the whole of that squadron for Edith's sake, the remembrance of many words that Digby had spoken, the look, the tone, the manner, all rose again upon her memory. She felt that he was a lover, and putting her hand to her brow, she murmured, I cannot, no, I cannot. Had he been only a friend, I would. I will see him early to-morrow. I will sit up all night, that I may not sleep and miss the opportunity, but I cannot go to-night. And returning as quietly to her own chamber as she had come thence, she shut the door and locked it. She had never locked it in her life before, and she knew not why she did it. 
Then, drawing the armchair to the hearth, Zara Croyland trimmed the fire, wrapped herself up as warmly as she could, and put out one of the candles, that she might not be left in darkness by both being burnt out together. She took up a book and began to read. From time to time, during that long night, her eyes grew heavy and she fell asleep, but something always woke her. Either her own thoughts troubled her in dreams, or else the book fell out of her hand, or the wind shook the window, or the cold chill that precedes the coming morning disturbed her, and at length she looked at her watch, and finding it past five o'clock, she congratulated herself at having escaped the power of the drowsy god, and, dressing in haste, undrew the curtains, and looked out by the light of the dawning day. When she saw the edge of the sun coming up, she said to herself, "'He is often very early. I will go down.' But, bethinking herself that no time was to be lost, she hurried first to her maid's room, and waking her, told her to see Sir Edward Digby's servant as soon as he rose, and to bid him inform his master that she wanted to speak with him in the library. "'Speak not a word of this to any one else, Eliza,' she said, and then, thinking it necessary to assign some reason for her conduct, she added, "'I am very anxious about my sister. Her not coming home yesterday alarms me, and I want to hear more.' "'Oh, dear, you needn't frighten yourself, Miss Zara,' replied the maid. "'I dare say there's nothing the matter.' "'But I cannot help frightening myself,' replied Zara, and going down into the library she unclosed one of the shutters. The maid was very willing to gratify her young lady, for Zara was a favourite with all, but thinking from the look of the sky that it would be a long time before the servant rose, and having no such scruples as her mistress, she went quietly away to his room and knocked at his door, saying— "'I wish you would get up, Mr. Summers. I want to speak with you.' Zara remained alone for twenty minutes in the library, or not much more, and then she heard Digby's step in the passage. There was a good deal of alarm and surprise in his look when he entered, but his fair companion's tale was soon told, and that sufficiently explained her sudden call for his presence. He made no comment at the moment, but replied, "'Wait for me here one instant. I will order my horse and be back directly.' He was speedily by her side again, and then, taking her hand in his, he said, "'I wish I had known this last night. You need not have been afraid of disturbing me, for I was up till nearly one.' Zara smiled. "'You do not know,' she answered, "'how near I was to your door, with the intention of calling you.' "'And why did you not?' asked Digby eagerly. "'Nay, you must tell me why you should hesitate when so much was at stake.' "'I can but answer, because my heart failed me,' replied Zara. "'You know women's hearts are weak, foolish things.' "'Nay,' said Digby, "'you must explain further. "'Why did your heart fail you? "'Tell me, Zara, I cannot rest satisfied unless you tell me.' "'Indeed, there is no time now for explanation,' she replied, "'feeling that her admission had drawn her into more than she had anticipated. "'Your horse will soon be here, and, and there is not a moment to lose.' "'There is time enough for those who will,' answered Digby, in a serious tone. "'You promised me that you would not hesitate. "'Whenever necessity required you to apply to me for counsel or aid, "'you have hesitated, Zara. "'Could you doubt me? "'Could you be apprehensive? "'Could you suppose that Edward Digby would, in word, deed, or thought, "'take advantage of your generous confidence?' "'No, no, oh, no!' answered Zara, "'warmly, blushing and trembling at the same time. "'I did not, I could not, after all you have done, "'after all I have seen. 
"'No, no, I thought you would think it strange. I thought—' "'Then you supposed I would wrong you in thought,' he replied, with some mortification in his manner. "'You do not know me yet.' "'Oh, yes, indeed I do,' she answered, feeling that she was getting further and further into difficulties. And then she added, with one of her sudden bursts of frankness, "'I will tell you how it was, candidly and truly. Just as I was at your door and about to knock, the memory of several things you had said, inadvertently perhaps, crossed my mind, and though I felt that I could go at any hour to consult a friend in such terrible circumstances, I could not, no, I could not do so with a, with one, you see what harm you have done by such fine speeches? She thought that by her last word she had guarded herself securely from any immediate consequences of this unreserved confession but she was mistaken. She merely hurried on in what might yet have rested for a day or two. Sir Edward Digby took her other hand also, and held it gently, yet firmly, as if he was afraid she should escape from him. "'Zara,' he said, "'dear Zara, I have done harm by speaking too much, or not enough. I must remedy it by the only means in my power. Listen to me for one moment, for I cannot go till all is said. You must cast off this reserve.' "'You must act perfectly freely with me. "'I seek to bind you by no engagement. "'I will bear my doubt. "'I will not construe anything you do "'as an acceptance of my suit. "'But you must know, nay, you do know, "'you do feel, that I am your lover. "'It was doubt of your own sensations towards me "'that made you hesitate. "'It was fear that you should commit yourself "'to that which you might, on consideration, "'be indisposed to ratify.' You thought that I might plead such confidence as a tacit promise, and that made you pause. But hear me as I pledge myself, upon my honour as a gentleman, that if you act fearlessly and freely in the cause in which we are both engaged, if you confide in me, trust in me, and never hesitate to put yourself, as you may think, entirely in my power, I will never look upon anything as plighting you to me in the slightest degree, till I hear you say the words, Digby, I am yours. "'if ever that happy day should come. "'In the meantime, however, "'to set you entirely free from all apprehension "'of what others may say, "'I hold myself bound to you "'by every promise that man can make, "'and this very day I will ask your father's approbation of my suit. "'But I am well aware, "'though circumstances have shown me in a marvellous short time, "'that your heart and mind is equal to your beauty, "'yet it is not to be expected "'that such a being can be one in a few short days.' and that I must wait in patience, not without hope indeed, but with no presumption. By your conduct, at least, I shall know whether I have gained your esteem. Your love, perhaps, may follow. And now I leave you to serve your sister and my friend to the best of my power. Thus saying, he raised her hand to his lips, kissed it, and moved towards the door. There was a sad struggle in Zara's breast, but as he was laying his hand upon the lock to open it, she said, "'Digby! Digby! Edward!' He instantly turned and ran towards her, for her face had become very pale. She gave him her hand at once, however. "'Kind, generous man,' she said. "'You must not go without hearing my answer. "'Such a pledge cannot be all on one part. "'I am yours, Digby, if you wish it. "'Yet know me better first before you answer. "'See all my faults and all my failings.' Even this must show you how strange a being I am, how unlike other girls, how unlike, perhaps, the woman you would wish to call your wife. Wish it? 
answered Digby, casting his arm around her. From my heart, from my very soul, Zara, I know enough, I have seen enough, for I have seen you in circumstances that bring forth the bosom's inmost feelings, and though you are unlike others, and I have watched many in their course, that very dissimilarity is to me the surpassing charm. They are all art, you are all nature, ay, and nature in its sweetest and most graceful form, and I can boldly say I never yet saw woman whom I should desire to call my wife till I saw you. I will not wait, dear girl, but pledged to you as you are pledged to me, will not press this subject further on you till your sister's fate is sealed. I must indeed speak with your father at once, that there may be no mistake, no misapprehension, but till all this sad business is settled, we are brother and sister, Zara, and then a dearer bond. Oh, yes, yes, brother and sister, cried Zara, clinging to him at a name which takes fear from a woman's heart. So will we be, Edward, and now all my doubts and hesitations will be at an end. I shall never fear more to seek you when it is needful. And my suit will be an excuse and a reason to all others for free interviews and solitary rambles and private conference and every dear communion, answered Digby, pleased, and yet almost amazed at the simplicity with which she lent herself to the magic of a word when the heart led her. But Zara saw he was a little extending the brother's privilege, and with a warm cheek but smiling lip she answered, "'There, leave me now. I see you are learned in the art of leading on from step to step. Go on your way, Edward, and, oh, be kind to me, and do not make me feel this new situation too deeply at first. There, pray take away your arm. None but a father's or a sister's has been there before.' and it makes my heart beat as if it were wrong. But Digby kept it where it was for a moment or two longer, and gave a few instants of happiness, in which she shared, though it agitated her. "'Nay, go,' she said at length, in a tone of entreaty, "'and I will lie down and rest for an hour, for I have sat up all night by the fire, lest I should be too late. You must go, indeed. There is your horse upon the terrace, and we must not be selfish, but remember poor Edith,' before we think of our own happiness. There was a sweet and frank confession in her words that pleased Digby well, and leaving her with a heart at rest on his own account, he mounted his horse and rode rapidly away towards the quarters of Sir Henry Leighton. End of chapter 6